So God is good? And all the time? That was nice to hear. Should we do it again? Yes. God is good? All the time. Amen. When is he not, right? Yes. And all the time? Amen. Praise God that we have such a wonderful God to serve. In him is no wickedness at all. Full of love and grace. And he set the, I guess he set the example for us in giving his son, you know, laying down his life, being a servant. So let's just come before him in prayer. First, I will just share, uh, sometimes people want me to share about my family, a little bit about myself, and often I run over it and jump into the message right away, but I'm married. We've been married for about 20 years, and praise God, and we have three kids, and so each one of them is a blessing. The third one was a surprise, but not to God. He actually kind of laid it on my heart before and said, do you want another child? I said, well, you know, as humans go, I went back and I talked to my husband. We reasoned together, and I went back to the Lord. I said, no, I think we're done. He goes, oh, here's another one. (laughs) Almost like he was saying, I was just getting you ready for it. You know, I was just getting you ready. I had another blessing, but we know God is good, and each one is a blessing. So, dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you, God. And we thank you, God, for your goodness and for your ways, for your presence. We thank you, God, for your love. And, Lord, this morning we just come before you and we ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts, open our ears, and open our understanding, Lord, that you would just grant a divine understanding, Lord, of what you have for us, Lord, and even a new wineskin that you have for us, Lord, to fill up with your presence, God, in our lives increasingly and an intimacy with you. And we just come before you, we ask, Lord, that you open our hearts, open our ears, open our understanding, God, and that the seeds of your word, the words that you have for specifically, personally, God, each one of us, and corporately, Lord, that they will take root and that the enemy will not be able to squander them, God, or pull them out or doubts. And we just come before you, we thank you for it. Just pray that you speak, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So a story that kind of caught my attention some time ago was a story of a sniper during the Vietnam War. And his name was Johnny Hathcock. Anybody heard of him? Johnny Hathcock. And so a lot of people began to call him by his nickname. They named him White Feather. And the reason was because of something he did. He stuck a white feather and he'd stick it in his cap all the time. And so he served during the Vietnam War. And as the story goes, as he was growing up, he grew up with his grandmother. And they were very poor at the time. Didn't mention where his parents were. But they were very poor. And just out of necessity, he learned early on in life, when he was a youngster, to use a rifle and to go out and to shoot a rabbit or or some small animal so that they could have meat for the day. Otherwise, they were without it. And so he began to learn just out of necessity. And gradually over the years, of course, he acquired, you know, as we continue to do something, often often becomes more smooth, right? And he acquired quite an ability with marksmanship. And so when he joined the military, he was taken at, he was, I guess, recruited down to the Vietnam War, and he served for some time, and he became very well known. He kind of rose in the ranks and became very well known for being such an excellent sniper. He became so well known that the enemies, our enemies, decided to put a bounty on his head. And at that time, in the 1970s, it was an unheard of amount of money. Nobody ever put that type of a bounty on somebody's head. It just wasn't done. At that time, it was $30,000. Back then, you know, it was as if it was millions now. But It was an unheard of amount of money. But the enemies, our enemies just decided we have to get rid of this one. We have to get rid of him. He was damaging them. And as as the history goes, he had 90 confirmed kills, which means that he had taken out the enemy, one of the enemy's guys, 90 times. And that was when there was a witness. So that was a confirmed kill. He said he didn't enjoy 
taking out the enemy, but his purpose was in defending our troops, in our boys. He knew if he didn't take out the enemy first, many times they would take out our boys. And so he found purpose in that. And they figured that he had around 300 actual kills of the enemy. He was damaging them, and they became furious. They didn't like it at all. So they issued the bounty of $30,000. And there was an enemy sniper that decided that he would like to, yeah, he, he decided he would like that bounty. That sounded like a good thing to him. So he began to follow and stalk, follow Johnny Hathcock. And he followed, you know, he, he searched farms for some time and came upon him a, a ways away, but he came close enough that he began to put him in his sights, and the way that Johnny Hathcock told the story from his own side, he said he was with his buddy in the forest, and just out of the corner of his eye, he saw a glimmer. And I just feel, you know, the, the nudge of the Holy Spirit, when you see a glimmer out of the corner of your eye, fast and pray early. Fast and pray right away. You nip it in the bud before it grows. Before the enemy starts really rolling, if that makes sense. So anyway, in this case, I can speak from experience. That's a better way. But in this case, um, in this case, he just saw the glimmer out of the corner of his eye. And so when he saw the glimmer... He went ahead and he shot in the, that direction. And they began, something fell, and, and sure enough, they, they went ahead and they walked a ways over and came upon the enemy's body. And the sniper was on the ground and he, was, he had died. He was, on his, he was on the ground, and when they came up to him, Johnny Hathcock said it really struck him because he saw that the bullet had gone through the enemy's scope right into the enemy's eye. And he realized the only possible way for that to happen was if he was already in the enemy's scope. And the only reason that he survived in his crosshairs, the only reason he survived was because he pulled the trigger first. And pulling the trigger first, fasting and prayer, is like pulling the trigger first before the enemy lets loose his arrows it's shots against our family to take us out, to take our family out, to take our loved ones out, maybe even our country, but, you know, to take those around us out. So I don't usually do this once in a while. And the Lord lays out in my heart. But I have a situation you can pray for. If the Lord brings it to your heart, it's similar. It's kind of like the enemy has me in its scopes. And the Lord says, keep going, but obey all the way and ask for prayer, you know. But to pray early, pray right away and really press in is, is a good thing. Even with our children, when we see just a glimmer in our marriages, in our loved ones. There's a story I'll share real quick and then we'll touch on scripture. Luke chapter 4 is where I'll start. Can I ask for prayer now? Yep. I'll be humble. It's good to be humble, right? Okay. Just that God will take care of these situations. We're just going to anoint Carrie with oil and just pray for her. Lord God, we just thank you for the fact that none of the situations that Carrie is in are a surprise to you. And so, Lord God, we just pray for your hand of protection, your hand of healing, your hand of uh, provision for her and her family at this time. Lord God, I pray that the enemy would have no... Uh, ability to do anything, Lord, that we come against that power of, of the enemy and say it has no authority over her. She's a child of God. She belongs to him. And so we pray, Lord, that according to your scripture, that none of his plans would prosper, that they would fall to the ground and be of no account. Father, instead, we ask that you put your protection around her. 
Lord God, in Jesus' mighty name. And we thank you, Father, for the answer is already on the way. In yes. Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God. That reminds me of, was it Acts chapter 12, right? Where the church was in unity praying together. Now, in that case, I'm, I'm just going off here a little bit, but it ties in. In that case, thank you. In that case, the church was in unity praying earnestly through the night. And when Paul was, when the answer came and Paul was miraculously delivered, I'm sorry, Peter, was miraculously delivered from prison, the church, uh, the lady that answered the door actually shut the door on him. And she went back and told the others, your answer is here. The answer to prayer is here. And they said, no, it can't be. It must be a ghost, right? But there is power in united prayer. We have not seen yet what God will do through persistent united prayer. We have not seen yet an army of God raising up, rising up. So Luke chapter 4, talking about prayer and fasting. Sometimes we think, well, you know, if we're Jesus' disciples, we should look at what he did, right? We know he was a man of prayer. And just this morning again, I read one of the scriptures that said he often withdrew to lonely places to pray. It was a priority. Even though he had crowds around him, throngs of people, and, and you know, the clock was running. There was much to do. He withdrew. He took that time away. He pulled away from the crowd. And it's like he filled his reserve in the presence of God. And because of that, he was able to do the things. He was able to hear God's voice, able to do what God called him to. So Luke chapter 4, right before this, if we look at Luke chapter 3, verse 21, it says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And notice this, it says, and as he was praying, heaven was opened. Just a reminder, as we pray, as his followers and servants, heaven is opened. God's throne hears our prayers, our cries, the cries of his people persistently coming before him. Persistent prayer is powerful. Don't quit and don't give up. Once the ball gets rolling, sometimes it takes the most work to get the momentum going and once we get it going keep on and don't quit the enemy will try to distract us with all kinds of things including go fix that blind do you see that blind it's not quite right any distraction it can bring from the most innocent busy things to to the list of what we need to get done you can write it on a piece of paper. You can pray about it and say, Lord, if this is important, please remind me. Or write it on a piece of paper for later and lay it to the side. Whatever the case is, press in. And get that ball rolling. God desires to do something new. He desires to do something creative. Something good. And healing. So Luke chapter 4 the background to it, right before it was Jesus was baptized, he prayed and the heaven was opened. And then it goes through the genealogies and it comes down to Luke chapter 4. Sometimes people say, well, what, what difference does it really make to fast and pray? Let's see what it did for Jesus. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. It starts with Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And it looked like it wasn't an easy time for him. It was a stretch, right? Just like prayer is often a stretch. It takes work, but it goes on, and he was tempted during it. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. So Jesus answered with the word of God, which is powerful. The first temptation that came was a distraction, right? To pull him out of it. And that's what the devil will try to do with prayer, even with fasting. But Jesus went ahead. He overcame the temptations. Verse 13 says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And we know that Jesus... Just from looking at his life, many times he would go to lonely places in the wilderness to pray, to spend time with the Father. We know 
if he was in the wilderness for 40 days fasting, what was he doing? He was spending time with the Father. He was bathing in intercession, in prayer and persevering prayer with God, overcoming temptation, that, that ball rolling, getting that ball rolling and building momentum in prayer is important. So he comes out of it, and it says in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of his spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. And after this time of being bathed in prayer, and he was fasting too, after this time, I just keep having that picture of a ball beginning to roll, you know, a momentum beginning to build, and there was a power of God that was released in his life, and it began to spread into the lives of those around him. Praise God. And people began to be healed. They began to be free. There began to be authority. People noticed, man, there's authority in, in what he teaches. It's different from the scribes, from the religious folk. It's different from the other religious leaders. And change began to occur. And there's a ball that begins to roll, a, a momentum of the glory of God, the presence of God in our lives, and the power of God to bring breakthrough in persevering prayer and in fasting. There's a breakthrough that comes. I mean, there's so many scriptures in the Bible that I thought, well, what should I choose between? We're limited on time, right? You know, Jesus taught about, he taught about the widow persevering in prayer. Is that Luke 18? He taught about the widow, and he taught to persevere, even before an unjust judge, to continue and to not give up. The unjust judge finally answered, not because he wanted to answer, or because he even cared. Now, that's an unjust judge. We have a father in heaven who cares. But, he perse- but she persevered, and he finally answered just to get her off his back, just to get rid of the lady. And God, our Heavenly Father, cares much more. But there are some things that require being bathed in prayer, bathed in prayer for the power of God to be released into the situation to bring the breakthrough that we need. Your children need Christ. Your family, your brothers and sisters need Christ. Don't let them die without being bathed in prayer. There was a testimony I heard just recently, and the man, he said in his, in what he shared, it was, I think, on Sid Roth, but I just watched this one, and he said in what he shared that he died for 11 hours, brain dead for 11 hours. God brought him out. He seems perfectly normal, healed, but he gave the testimony. He said it was the prayers of his family that that saved him from hell. He said when he died, he came out of a pickup, and I think without going through everything, he called out to God when he realized he had died and he was actually separated from his body. He called out to God. He said, God, forgive me. He had a realization of his need for God, but his family had been persistently praying. The next step was he went quite a distance in what he felt like was his spirit. He went, or soul, quite a distance and he ended up on what looked to him like the brink of hell, the brink of a pit of horrendous smell and sound. And he saw this demon coming out of this pit, coming after him. And he cried out to God again. He said, God, help me. And he turned his back to it. And immediately he saw, in this case, he saw lights come. And it was three angels. And the power of God came with them. The demonic left. And that simply he knew to call to God. I'm not saying to wait until we die to call to God. But his story was God brought him back, changed his theology completely. So now it fits the Bible. It hadn't before. And his testimony is the prayers of his family are why he knew to call to God. The persistent prayer of the people of God begins a ball rolling a momentum in the spiritual realm we need almost more than we need air. Anyone agree? We need it in our families. 
We need it in our children and in the lost around us. We need the power of God, the grace of God, the light of God, the light of salvation, right, that shines through the darkness. Luke chapter 5 goes on. And in the next chapter, it goes on, verse 33, 34, 36. And John's disciples, well, it comes to him in verse 33. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he was with them? He's not saying to not do it. He's saying this is a celebration week during their wedding week they would put to aside all of the normal things that would hinder the celebration because the celebration was such a big deal. And so spiritually, Jesus was coming as a bridegroom, and he said, well, they're putting it to the side until I leave, in my paraphrase. And it goes on, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. And the early disciples did fast. And we know that they were a praying church as well. They pressed in much. Much of the fasting was until uh, some scholars figured they fasted twice a week regularly until about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, if we look at chapter, I'm going to jump around a little bit. I kind of felt the Lord moving me a bit as I'm starting. So Matthew chapter 6 talks about three acts of righteousness. And it talks about, so when you give to the needy, is verse 2, verse 5, and when you pray, Jesus says when, right? Not if. Assuming that we'll do it. And then he says, and when you fast. And in each one of these, there's, he says not to do it for public appearance, right? Have we ever seen somebody do it for public appearance? Or have we ever wondered, Lord, did I do that? Was my heart right? You know, was my heart right in that? And uh, if, if we wonder that, we can ask the Lord to give us his perspective, to show us how he sees things. It's amazing sometimes, even that bit of prayer, it's amazing sometimes how God will open our eyes to see it differently. But to go on, it says, when we do these things that are acts of right living, to be done before God, not for public approval, not to make, you know, to try to acquire praise from people, but for public, I mean, for praise from God. It says, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And there are rewards that come for each one of these. I was going to go into uh, Acts chapter 10, which has, you can read it later, Cornelius. The first Gentile convert was rewarded. This man, what a reward to be the first Gentile convert. And do you know what it mentions in that chapter? The NIV says prayer a couple times. The New King James lists, uh, they list giving to the needy. It kind of reminds me of Matthew 6. Praying. He was a man who prayed, who gave to the needy, and he fasted. And God rewarded him with being the first Gentile convert. And he, he and his whole family came to Christ. There's a reward, a blessing. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 6. I'm going to run through this quick, and then we'll go to fasting. But Daniel chapter 6. In this chapter, I'm going to give you the background. We've probably heard this story before, right? It's Daniel in the lion's den. And as the story begins, Daniel had lived for God, placed his heart on God, and had excelled. God blessed him immensely. And so God had placed him in a position that he had favor with the king, and the king was planning to raise him. He was restructuring the country. And so he was setting 120 satraps, which were like governors over each province or governors over each state. And he was setting them in place. He was dividing up the country into sections, setting governors over each, setting three administrators over those. And he planned to make Daniel head over all of it under himself. And the co-workers became very jealous. And so they began to connive a way to get Daniel out of there. They did not know a way. And the only possible way that they could find was if they came 
against his faith in God because he had integrity in everything else. So verse 10, they had already gone to the king and come, come together with a way that they could finally get Daniel out of there. And we know he was a man who fasted as well. But verse 10 said, Now when Daniel learned about the decree, it was a decree that if you did not worship the king for the next 30 days and him only, you would be thrown into a lion's den. Well, how would we feel if that came out publicly? Would we think of running and hiding? Or would we uh, continue on as we had done? You don't have to answer. But it's an interesting question. Verse 10 says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem three times a day. He got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Did he even hide? It doesn't say he didn't have to, but he didn't, he didn't hide it. He didn't change anything. The New King James Version puts it this way. Instead of just as he had done before, says, as was his custom since early days, there was a ball that he had begun to roll, a momentum that he had begun to build from his early days on, a rhythm of prayer that had carried him through the years, and God's favor had increased upon him through it, a perseverance in prayer. You think about the fact that he was high up in the kingdom. How many excuses would he have had that I might have taken, or we, not you, of course, just me, you know, that we might have taken, or I might have taken, to say, well, you know, i I got to put this aside right now. i got to get this work done. But Daniel took the time out three times a day. You know, we assume he probably prayed through the day, but he took three times set aside that he just prayed to the Lord. It was a rhythm of prayer, a momentum, a ball rolling that had started early on. And the presence of God came with it. It carried the presence of God with him. God had blessed it. One of the comments on this, and we know as the story goes, what happened? He was thrown into the lion's den, right? He wasn't saved from the, from the trial, but he was saved from the damage of it. Does that make any sense? Yeah. He wasn't saved from the passage through, but he was saved from the destruction that the enemy planned. And what the, what the enemy planned to use against him and to destroy his life God used to raise him up, give him favor to honor him, but also to bring glory to God's name because of the momentum that he had built, the rhythm of prayer, the courage that he had through it. God used it to be a testimony to the king and to the entire nation. Hey, that would be pretty cool, right? Just the last verses says, say, verse 20, 25 King Darius brought him out. There was not even a scratch on him. It says, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree, which meant it couldn't be changed in their days. They figured he was a god, so or, or spoke for the gods as a king. But it says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must what? Fear and reverence the god of Daniel. Hey, that's quite a testimony. That's pretty cool. That carries the presence of God into the community, into the nation. And I just feel, God, that, that repeated impression of building momentum. You begin a ball rolling at the beginning of the year, and don't quit as you go through it. But allow God to help you make strides against the devil with it, to build momentum, a persevering in prayer for the lives of your children, for the lives of your brothers and sisters that need Christ, for the lives of the people that God puts on your heart, even our nation. We have a lot of lost people in our nation. We have a lot of lost just around us. Daniel affected a nation in his own life as well. He went from dead duck to living and prosperous. God did it. God raised him up. God honored him. And he had 
placed early on that rhythm of prayer, that momentum. Now, is it hard to press in? Yeah, sometimes. It takes some effort, doesn't it? Just like fasting. I was talking to my husband, and he started a different diet. and He's like, man, that's hard. I said, yeah, just like fasting. I mean, it can be hard because it's our flesh. We live with this thing. We carry it around with us. It's a challenge. But putting it to the side to seek the presence of God enables a conduit of his power, a conduit of his grace, of his presence in our lives to bring healing in relationships around us, to bring his will. There's power in persistent prayer. And sometimes just adding fasting gives us extra time to do it. Does that make sense? <coughs> kind of takes our focus off of, off of food and gives us extra time. I know a lady, she, she also fasted during the lunch, but she took every lunch for a year and she would walk and pray for an entire year and just persisted and persisted over her lunch. And she was praying for the salvation of her mother and her sister. And she fasted too. Just the lunch. But by the end of but it gave her time to pray. And by the end of the t- year, her mother had come to Christ who had not known God. Her sister had come to Christ who had not known God. Her cousin had come to Christ, and her cousin was leading someone else to Christ. There was a momentum that God was building. When you do not see the answer at first, don't fret. Don't fear. Press in. Persist and continue to pray for God's will. If you don't know what else to pray for, pray that the enemy's pushed back and God's will is increased. And you can pray that he'll put on your heart and mind what his will is if he wants you to pray more specifically for people to come to Christ. We know that is the will of God, right? I mean, we don't even have to ask. We know it is his will crazy thing I don't know do we always pray for it maybe you do sometimes I forget you know we have people all around us that need Christ and we need open doors to reach them and family members cousins sometimes we look at them and we think that is a most impossible case but there is a power of God that builds with prayer it's a it's a pressing in last night as I was going to sleep it was, as I kind of resting, it was what was coming to mind was persistent prayer, not light, fluffy prayer, maybe not even kind of the popcorn prayer. I mean, those, the, not to say you can't do that or that's not important, but there's time and a place for everything, right? But I feel like God is encouraging us to an earnest, persistent prayer. And it was like somebody was saying, you know, some, somebody was sharing, it's like, I've got my soul in it. I've got my soul in it. That pushing forward, God, we just desire your will. What does God do as what does God do as we fast and pray? He works. And the answer is on the way. So let me just run to a couple examples. Second Chronicles 20, I'm just going to mention it quick. You've probably heard the story. In this case, verse 1. It is that the king of Judah discovers, he hears that there is a vast army coming against him. Sounds like they need a momentum in prayer, doesn't it? Mighty prayer. There is a vast army coming against them to make a war on them. Verse 2 says, Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom. From the other side of the sea, it is already in Hazazon, Tamar, that is in Gedi. Verse 3, notice what he did first. Instead of the things that we consciously, logically think of, assemble the army, make sure we have the troops, put everything in, in place, get out the swords. The first thing he did, I guess he knew the, it was impossible odds, is that he alarmed Jehoshaphat, resolved to inquire of the Lord. What's that mean? Pray, right? To come before the Lord, inquire of him, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. So it was a greater earnestness. They came together, and he prayed, and it it shows his prayer, crying out to God together, building that momentum and unity. And God gave a word, said, you will not have to fight this battle. 
There's a momentum that builds. I'm just getting that word this morning, momentum. God desires there to be a momentum that builds. God desires there to be a ball that begins rolling, a mighty, mighty power of God in prayer and persevering in it right through the enemy's tactics of, of doubts and the things that tries to throw in, its, in our way. And the story ends with, notice this, verse 29. They overcame their enemies. God actually caused them to destroy themselves. They ended up with three days of plunder that they took from it because their enemies had already killed themselves. And verse 29, the fear of God came upon all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Sounds like God had answered, right? And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for as God had given him a rest on every side. We know David was a man of prayer, and God worked beautifully in his life. There was a presence of God. There was a way that God worked against his enemies, right? He was a man he fasted too, but he was a man of prayer. Day after day, and there were times, once I heard on the news, it was secular news, they said, oh yeah, yeah, David, he never said, go after my enemies and go get them, or go kill them. And I thought, have you read Psalms? You know, I mean, there's a humanity there. He was real. He wasn't perfect, but he was real with a heart crying out to God to save him and to help. Sometimes he didn't understand why his enemies were still there. Couldn't you just poke their eyes out? No, you know, whatever the situation may be. And Daniel, we know, was a powerhouse for God. And he began in prayer, building a momentum of prayer. There's something God wants to do. Daniel was a man who fasted as well. But he placed God first in time and priorities. Daniel chapter 1, he placed God first in the area of food to keep his heart right. Probably to protect himself from eating the meat that was offered to idols, but it was also a type of a fast or a type of setting something aside for God, keeping his heart right, his priorities. And we know he built that rhythm of prayer early on, and God promoted him. God blessed. There was a presence of God in his life that was blessed through it. Chapters 9 and 10, it talks about that greater earnestness in prayer where, where Daniel fasted and prayed also. And an angel came, if we ever want revelation and, and understanding, which is what Daniel received in both of those, fasting, adding fasting, sometimes we just hear God's voice better. And I think it pulls our heart from distractions. And it, it still takes effort to pray. Sometimes it's easier to pray. Sometimes it's harder to pray. I'm not going to give you an easy answer. But to persist in it, to persevere in it, to build that rhythm, and the fasting, it sets something aside in us. That, that scripture was coming to mind of new wineskins. The prayer, building the momentum. It's like God is encasing us in a wineskin that can handle his presence. In a wineskin that's more submitted to him. Does that make sense? And there's something, there's a presence of God that increases in our lives as we press in with it. Anybody experienced that? I know one lady also, she fasted and prayed every lunch for a year. And so she would take the time and she would just press in in prayer. And I asked her, it was at an old folks home actually, and it was a small group. So I asked, I, I said, you know, what did you notice? So what did you notice? And she said, oh, the presence of God was so real. It's like God gives us a new wineskin. And he can pour his presence in. He can pour more of his presence, more of his grace. And I think Jesus tied that in with fasting with prayer as well. It gives us, it, man, it carves out that carnal nature, that flesh. It's not fun, is it? But there's a blessing. There's a blessing from it and a reward from it. It's interesting. I could go on with scriptures, but it's interesting because there are Studies now that are coming up, I mean, testimonies as well, 
of ways that God has worked. One lady, I'll share this first, one lady took every hour after lunch, even as she was a grandmother. She took every hour after lunch, and it was known to all the grandkids, everybody, keep the house quiet, tones down. She would go up to her room and pray for an hour, up to her closet, her room, in private. People knew that's what she was doing, but she persisted in it. And by the time she passed away, every one of her family members had come to Christ. Every one of them. Was it worth it? That's all eternity, right? And there's a presence of God that comes with it. There's a lady who did a seven-day fast in prayer, taking the time in prayer, pressing in. And she said that her life was changed through it. She took time away to be with God at a conference when others were going out to eat. And she just took that time away and would be with God that whole week. And at the end of the week, they were talking about mantles. She said, oh, Lord, if you have one for me, I, I would like it. And God gave her a mantle. And it relates to, it changed her personality from being in, inward, shy, so shy it was hard to talk to people. She said God changed and gave her boldness and a joy and a dance in her step. And she said years later she is still not the same. God has blessed her through it, and she continues to press in. Praise God. But in the area of prayer, the studies show if we will press in, the studies show that the benefits start at 12 minutes. They start about there. But I always feel the Lord encourage 20 minutes. Encourage them in 20 minutes. We could do that, right? Turn off the TV for a little bit. 20 minutes. Maybe we need a cup of coffee. Whatever, you know. Whatever, whatever we need to do. Or walk. And they have found that if we will pray, focused, every day, 12, 20 minutes, that within two months, four, four, no, eight weeks, within eight weeks, on the brain scans and tests that we now have in our modern-day medical world, there is actually, you can actually see the frontal cortex thickening. What does that do? It's a natural antidepressant. It decreases your chance of, of, of being depressed. And... The thinning of it is a sign that there is some type of an illness coming on. So the thickening of it, we didn't know. It says, when you pray, and God says he will reward us. We didn't know that there's even physical benefits with it. I know a man, he took an hour after every day at work. He said, oh, he struggled with depression. Finally, he just carved out an hour every day after work, and he just began to pray. He said, that's what broke the depression. Praise God, building a momentum. And the fasting they have found, oh, there's so much research on it coming out. If you do two to three days of fasting, your stem cells begin to rebuild your immune system in two to three days of a fast. Within 12 hours of fasting, your body begins to dump the toxins that are naturally in your body. Do you know how many toxins we have? We have pounds more than they had in Jesus' day, just of lead in our body. It was somewhere around six or eight pounds more than they had in that day. Our body begins to dump toxins. We are exposed to more chemicals now than they have, I think, than they have ever been through history combined. Pretty interesting. It's amazing what God made our bodies able to handle, but fasting begins to unload them. At 16 to 24 hours, our immune system begins to, well, at 16 to 24 hours, our uh, human growth hormone begins to increase. For men, it's 20 times. For women, it's 13 times. Maybe some of the benefit is because we persist in prayer, too. So there's blessings with it. But the human growth hormone spikes, and that's your anti-aging hormone. So it strengthens bones, reduces loss of muscle, cleans out your cholesterol, it, or it lowers it, cleans out your arteries, strengthens your heart, strengthens your organs, and the list goes on. I'm just like, wow, Lord, this is amazing. 
But the time in prayer is a blessing and fasting. But I feel like God's in that. It was a little bit different from where I expected to go. Similar, but a little different. But I feel like the Lord is just challenging us to build a momentum in prayer. Sometimes it takes a while to get that ball rolling. And I don't see a little ball. I see a big ball. And when I talked about continuing through the things that the devil brings against us like doubts, it was just a picture of it going right through a wall, just going breaking right through it. The devil wants to hinder or to bring stops along the way, but God wants us to press in and to cry out and to persist with faith that God is going to reward and he's going to bring an answer. His will, his way, his time. And the lost are important, right? And there are a lot of blessings in fasting as well. Sometimes I hit that really hard, but, you know, there are a lot of blessings. And we have some uh, brochures after that talk about ideas for prayer and actually much prayer and then a little bit just on fasting as well. But I want to encourage you, would you take this year, or this time, even right now, just to have that phrase come, softly and tenderly, the Lord is calling. Will my people rise up? Fasting is important too. But the persistence in prayer is mighty as well. And when you combine the two, there's a power of God that comes through it. I had a something come. And I felt like the Lord just kind of gave this word. I'll share it. I wrote it down last night. It says, the Lord says, that's what I felt the impression the Lord was speaking, no matter what comes your way, the unimaginable things that come. You don't have any of those, do you? That's amazing. No matter what comes your way, the unimaginable things that come, I will make a way. Hold on to persevering prayer, fasting, even I'll just add a day a week. Persevering prayer, fasting, and obedience to God's spirit, to his leading. Distractions will come for the devil once you out of those three so it can have its way with you. Even distractions like fixing the blinds, just doing something. you got to get it done right now. But whatever you do, hold on to these three, and God will make a way through. There is a power of God that comes through. And I was reminded of a story of prayer paths. There is an African village. Fasting is important, too. And you can read up on it in the brochure as well. It gives some real practical ideas. And there are many testimonies with it, a few on there. But... There was, a, there was a group of people in Africa that were new converts. And they began a routine, a habit, building momentum of taking time to just walk through the forest. Each one had a prayer path. And they would take the time and walk and pray every day. And eventually, once in a while, you'd see, oh, there's, there's grass on that path of that person. And so they'd go up to each other and they'd say, friend, there's grass on your path in a loving way, encouraging. Persist in prayer. Don't give up. Don't quit. Continue to build the momentum. Carving a path through persistent prayer and fasting. Do you know that the prayers and fasting that are prayed day after day can affect areas for years to come and families? Years later, thinking of testimonies I've heard, there remains a substance, a change. Even, even like an apostolic move of God to crush the devil's plans against us. Yeah, that sounds like a good thing. But those who fast and pray will fare the best, for with it comes the obedience that we need. Called today, I will press in. Today I will get, in, I will get done in the spirit more than I do in the natural until the spiritual is where it needs to be. Does that make any sense? It's opposite of our logic. But to focus on the spiritual like Jesus did, Fast and pray and build the momentum in prayer. Do it for this year, two years. I dare you. I challenge you. I started with 40 weeks, and at the end I said, I can't stop. I got to keep going. 
And it was persisting in prayer and just adding fasting a few meals a week and that extra time in prayer. There's a blessing that will come through it. Dear Heavenly Father, I'll just challenge you men. You are made of God to lead. Even in this, I have seen men just make a choice. It's amazing. It might be hard at first, but to lead, even in this, God's grace is sufficient. And there's a powerhouse of God's power that comes through it. And women, just, God, we just come before you, God. And even in fasting a day a week, can we make a way to set aside, to persist in prayer, build the momentum, carve out the time, focus on the spiritual, and to fast, and to see what God does. And I feel like God's calling to it wouldn't be what I would naturally call it to, but to two years. Would you just take a moment and just talk to the Lord about it? Lives are worth it. Lives matter that much. And there's a blessing that comes in your own life through it. There is a blessing. Rewards with obedience. And God, we just come before you. We thank you for your love, your grace, your goodness, your provision, your power. And I thank you even, even for a dream that you gave me about trusting and obeying and how you had called me into speaking, and I didn't want to in the dream. And I tried to find songs to sing, what I was used to, and all I could find was scripture. And off to the side, there's an older lady, and, and she said, I, I, have, I have one. And I went over there, and what she handed me was a hymnal, and it was the word trust and obey, the song. And I looked at it and thought, well, with God's grace, we are able to do what he calls us to do day by day, day by day. But even, would you press in? Consider two years. You have the first 21 days. And then just consider continuing and see what God does through it, the healing, the blessing and the provision that he brings. In Jesus' name, amen.